Welcome everybody back to Veil of Sound. Welcome back to our Christmas to New Year's marathon. And today I'm very, very happy to have somebody here on the show who has been a part of the American black metal scene for more than 30 years. Something like that, probably, huh, Neil? Uh, just about uh, 95, so that makes it, Jesus Christ, yeah, almost 29 years. My goodness. So, yeah, somebody who's been making American black metal for like nearly 40 years has probably been in the scene for much longer. Um, and so very, very happy to have Neil Jameson from Creek here on the show. Neil, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. A ple the pleasure is ours. Neil, where are we catching you right now? Where are you at? So I am in what's supposed to be my office. I just moved a few weeks ago. Uh, I live in Chesterfield, Virginia now, which is slightly south of the Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and eventually this is going to be where I, I keep all of my records and assorted bullshit that I've acquired over the last 30 years. But right now it's just kind of uh, in the uh, construction construction phase of it where I just have a whole bunch of shit lying around that makes no sense. And one of my cats has made it basically his home for the day. So that, that's, that's where we're at today. <laughs> uh, and a question that is half sarcastically and half seriously. Um, would you describe yourself as a ruiner? Yes, yes and no. So uh, one of the reasons for the, the title of the record is it's kind of, it marks the end of the the trilogy, uh, as it were, of Isolationist, Transient, and then Ruiner, which is, like everything else I do, very autobiographical. But Ruiner can be construed as both a negative thing and, I guess, a positive thing. Uh the, the negative being that, you know, you're the one that, that fucks everything up in, in everybody's lives uh, and, and yourself. And then the uh, the positive, and, and this is really more the meaning that I had behind it, is that it's kind of being a conqueror in a way. It, it's this show of uh, of inner strength that, that you're the one that, that can come in and be the destructor. Uh it was one of the so the the album had so many titles before we even recorded it, uh, and this one like none of them really fit, and this one just kind of came to me, just out out of nowhere, just you know kind of grabbed it from the air, and it just felt right because it signified so many different things to it. Is it also important for you that a ruiner is also somebody who? clears the table making any kind of fresh start possible i hadn't really thought of it that way but that that's that's true because it's taken so long for this record to to come out that it almost feels well i mean it is a, a fresh start uh there's a lot of fresh perspective in it that i didn't have when we did any of the, the previous records it was more of starting over and having the same kind of feeling that i had making the music that I had almost 30 years ago when I started, where I just wanted to make music for myself. Mm -hmm. And this time around, I mean, there was a lot of expectation that I placed on myself after Transient. And so that pressure is one of the big reasons why it took so long for the record to, to come out. Mm -hmm. And being able to shed that pressure and the, the external expectations and just do something that is purely driven by what I wanted to do and what I wanted to create, so, yeah, it, it really is kind of, uh, as you said, clearing the table. Uh, we've spoken about this before. We have to solve it once and for all before anybody accuses us of supporting NSBM or any kind of right-wing fascist ideology. You have very clearly admit having been on the wrong side of things before when you were young, you know. And you also admit to having said and done the wrong things. Um, but you also stated, and for me, you stated very believably that you have changed. Can you, in one or two sentences, explain where that change came from so that everybody else also understands how you got to where you are right now? 
growing up. Uh, that is a good sentence. Hitting, hit, hitting, uh, hitting the the point in my life where I realized that one, I was doing things because not because I necessarily believed in them, but because it was a way to shock people, mm-hmm. which I know is an excuse a, a lot of musicians and, and artists have used uh, in, in the past. So that that excuse may not necessarily hold a lot of water for many people, but uh, mm-hmm. it's the truth. Once I started, once I hit a certain age and started being around more people, different people, and realizing that uh, something that I just thought was kind of, you know, this, this big shocking, you know, look at me kind of thing, uh, that didn't affect certain people in that way, you know? Like, I, it wasn't just that I'd made them angry the way that I kind of, you know, hoped for but you know the 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 things i'd done had real weight and it wasn't necessarily sorry cat just jumped up on the table uh it wasn't necessarily like i I couldn't really understand where what i was doing to people and also another reason why i did it was I, i had no real confidence in in my music uh I mean, externally, you know, I, I had uh, plenty of, of confidence and bravado and, and whatnot, but just this need to have this outrageous personality to kind of draw people into the music when in actuality, really what draws people into music is going to be you know, the music. So writing something good, for for example. And so I just, I, I stopped this, this, needed for attention in that way i mean obviously i still have a need for attention i'm you know publicly doing music so uh, but it, it just it, it came to me that what i was doing was stupid it, it affected people in a way that, that i didn't necessarily want and i've just grown to to meet and, and know a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds so what would and you then now... on the the you go ahead you go ahead i was gonna say and, and to, to kind of end it um or not end it but cut off my 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 one or two sentences that's turned into several paragraphs um i i just don't see it being an important tenet of, of my music or, or black metal or anything like that i think that it's just a stunted worldview that you would hope people would grow out of but obviously you know that that's not necessarily the case um what do you now say to people who say like, oh, they have done nothing good since the Imperial War Master, like since the Satanic War Master split and all those times? What do you say to people like that? Who like cheer you on your earlier mistakes? Fuck them. Okay, that's already enough. That is already very, very clear. You are probably a a big proponent of second chances, which is also something that I think is true. Do you think that there is a certain point in a person's development which is necessary to grant those second chances to make their change believable? I think that everybody should regardless of if other people give them the second chances, everybody should give themselves a second chance to, to grow and to move beyond things. And also, I mean, we as human beings should be evolving at all times. If we stand still, that, that stagnation is, it's just fatal to the, the, the mind and, and mm-hmm. to the, the soul. And also it's just exceptionally fucking boring and so people really should, you know, you, you would hope that, that people are given a chance to to move beyond things. Are they given that chance? Not too often. Uh, as, uh, as a global society now, this used to be like a specifically American uh, problem, but I, I believe it's kind of spread everywhere thanks to the magic of the Internet. We love to see people fuck up. We don't like to see people come back from those fuck ups. Mm-hmm. Certain fuck-ups are very obviously unforgivable, uh, child pornography, you know, that that kind of thing. Uh, whereas other things such as language or even 
let's say somebody that, that took it way many, many steps further than I ever did and actually became involved in the national socialist scene. And then one day they realized this isn't for me. This isn't right. I want to change my life. That kind of person should be encouraged because they're making a movement towards bettering themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of times they're not given that kind of grace where people are like, well, fuck you. You were a part of this, you know, a long time ago. So that person you were defines who you are now. And that's only partially true. Yeah. Uh, of course, the person you were defines who you are now because that's a piece of your your past, of your history. Uh, where you go from being that person, that's what should really define you as who you are. Yeah, of course. If if we take that stance that where you are going, where you're headed, which means you're going and to which direction, if that is the definition of a person's personality, then of course the past is always the starting point and you know you, you cannot start a voyage if you don't start at a certain place that's totally clear last question connected to all this talk is something that i'm interested in what you are saying because i i am still in limbo about giving a clear answer to the question but can you can you separate art from the artist yes uh, and it's not just in the case of very challenging subject matter, such as what we're we're discussing now, uh, but also just every once in a while, you'll meet an artist or a musician who is just a complete asshole. You love their music, but they're just an abysmal human being to be around. And so you you would try to, you, you would hope that that doesn't impact your enjoyment of the music. Uh, sometimes it does. Uh, then there are situations where you know you, you know that that great art has been created by horrible people. Great yeah. literature has been created by horrible people. Uh, yes. One of my favorite examples would be uh, Celine, and uh, he was one of the the uh, apparently worst human beings on on the planet. So bad that uh, even the the Nazis, when he began writing treatises, uh, the Nazis were like, "Hey." buddy dial it down uh which but means then you something look at right? journey of the mm -hmm. but then you look at journey to the edge of the night and it's just it's a, a beautiful novel it's one of the the greatest literary triumphs of the 20th century and so you try to be able to to take that for what it is and then realize that he was just you know the, a fucking nightmare of a human and you try to separate that there uh Separating the art from the artist isn't easy. And in, in many cases, you know, I understand how people are not able to do that. Like take uh, the band Inquisition. Great musicians. Just a, a, a many, many great albums. Dude got in trouble for having child porn on his computer. I can't separate that there. That to me, that's that's my own personal line that is just unforgivable. Whereas a lot of people are totally fine with it. Uh, oddly enough, in the National Socialist scene, Inquisition's kind of been lifted up uh, on this this pedestal. And it's weird because one of their big tenets is, you know, saving children. So I don't know. This is it, it's it's a hard question. I mean, my, my gut instinct is, yes, you can separate the, the art from the artist. But I think it has to be on a case to case, individual, personal basis. Yeah. And it's also, um, I know that people, I know people who, who like Inquisition, and at the same time say, "Okay, I cannot listen to Burism." I think it's also one's own personal judgment doesn't always have to be consistent. It should be, because that makes life easier. But at the same time, it just simply doesn't. And there are certain things where I totally agree with you. And, you know, people, child pornography or child molestation, abuse, however we want to call that. Um, you know, being a father of, of a beautiful daughter, um, I have to say, anybody touches her, you have to be quicker than the police. Yep. Um, are there instances where you say, apart from Inquisition, for example, where you say, like, 
I can listen to that band, project, artist, and forget what he did or said. I mean, like in pop music, for probably the most famous example is Michael Jackson. In our realms, the <laughs> most famous example is Burzum, right? So are there moments where you say, like, okay, I can, I can totally forget what he did? Yeah, both of those instances, actually. Uh, it's it's right now while we're talking, you know, it's, it's the middle of October, so it's Halloween. So Thriller is going to be everywhere. And, you know, yeah. that that's a, a great song. It has, you know, a lot of nostalgia for me from, from when I was younger. So I, I can listen to that and, and separate it because I think that that is just in the pop realm. You almost don't view them as real people. They're just this image this this almost dreamlike uh entity so that's a little bit easier to to overcome uh burzum's a, a big one uh i've been burzum was one of the first black metal bands I, I started listening to when i was younger for many people uh, it is right mm -hmm. musically uh huge influence and i'm still able to listen to the first few records and then you know maybe one of the post-prison records i think fallen is a really good record uh, and, and I can listen to that and, and I can separate the art from the artist there. I think some of the, that comes from the fact that that was one of the earliest black metal bands that I got into. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have this connection. The, the internet really wasn't a thing. I didn't, I didn't have like the, this huge connection to what kind of person he was. I mean, I knew about the, you know, obviously the murder and the, the church burnings, which didn't really affect me emotionally or anything like that and so it wasn't until a few years later once you know he published um his book and then all of his his pamphlets and you know shaved his head in prison and, and all of that wearing the superman shirt uh that that really became a a public issue so because i had so many years already attached to the project that uh it, it didn't really affect me Granted, if you would have told me 25 years ago that there would be one, uh, there would be the, this platform, uh, this global communications platform that he would be easily accessible on and would be posting all kinds of shit like he's just somebody's mentally disturbed grandfather, yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't have believed you. I mean, like he he's helped take a lot of the mystique out of the project himself. Uh, yeah. I also think that if he had done the same stunts 10, 15 years later, um, no, let's let's put it that way. If he had begun making music 10, 15 years later, with back then in the two thousand early 2000s at the millennium, the rise of the internet, um, I think he would never have become this phenomenon that he is. Um, because, you know, the, the news about what kind of person he is would have already spread much quicker. And I still say to this day, I mean, like, I, I totally agree with you. Musically, you cannot touch the guy. You know, the first few records, pre-prism, amazing stuff, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, a lot of the publicity that he got is also, again, that shock value, right? Okay, oh, the guy burned bridges. Oh, the guy killed somebody. My goodness, he is... He is the true shit. Um, yeah, I, I see that, but I still say like 10 or 15 years later, he wouldn't have been that. Yeah. Okay, let's turn to the new record. Let's turn to Ruiner. Let's make a harsh cut here. Um, first question that strikes me when I looked at it, I was like, hmm? is that a Creek record? It's nearly colorful, dude. It has a white, completely white background. It's got a, a huge, nice Coca-Cola rat in the middle of it. What happened? Where are the blacks, the grays, the, the, the dark whites? What happened? Remember how you were talking about clearing the table? Yeah. That was kind of that was kind of the idea. Uh, cool. I've had years and years and year decades at this point, Jesus Christ, of covers that have been you know mostly black and white photography a, a lot of uh really stark kind of harsh images uh very obviously ripped off a, a lot of joy division's aesthetic on, on a lot of things and so this time around i just 
I'd never, well, I, I'd had art commissioned for me before. Uh, the original cover for Blue Miasma was uh, painted by the Midgars of Lugabrum. Um, so it, it has, we'll say it had been at least 20 years since I've done anything that had, you know, artwork on it that wasn't photography or, or you know, just something that had almost an, an urban kind of feel to it. And since the record was kind of a departure from what we'd done before anyway, it just felt like the, the time to, to do it. Also interesting that, I mean, like a lot of the other artworks that you had were in a way a little grainy, for lack of a better word. And this one is very clear, defined outline. So that is a very nice, nice uh, cover is the guy on the cover your personal ruiner or the figure on the cover i mean it was it was my my concept every single detail on that was was just something that had come to me so i, I spoke to rob the artist and i gave him a very clear outline of, of how i wanted everything to to appear uh i don't know where it, it came from it's just one of those things that I mean, I was looking at, at other artists and, and just a, a lot of a lot of different images over the last few years. Like I've really been trying to, to take that in for my own personal uh, enrichment. And so from that, I, I just kind of had this idea. I knew that I wanted a black background. I knew that the lanterns and, and the halo had to be red i knew that the halo had to be similar to like renaissance paintings of christ or the other saints with how it's just this solid circle around it um i knew that i wanted something that was different from a crown of thorns i wanted a just a, a face covering of thorns um so i'm sure subconsciously all of these represent the same subconscious energy that went into writing the album itself and, and the concepts around it. Unlike previous records that had very well-defined concepts to them, this one really doesn't. This this all, it, it, I don't want to say that it, it's freeform stream of consciousness, but it kind of is freeform stream of consciousness where I had very loose ideas and an overall emotion that I was going for and that it just kind of all organically came together. My daughter just nearly walked in. Uh, for you, it's a cat. For me, it's a daughter. Um, I'm very sure, as you've already mentioned, I mean, like, you are aware that you're playing with, like, Christian ideology and uh, Christian iconography, right? So that is very interesting, you know, because I looked at it. I felt like, okay, that's Jesus. And then underneath it says Ruiner. And I was like, okay, is that criticism of religion? Is it not? Very, very good cover, I have to say. And also very good is the opener, Bulwark. Um, it is a blast from second one. It's a really great opening song. And now my question is, how, how important are openers for you? And how did you decide on Bulwark to be the opener for Ruiner? No, openers, openers and closers are, are incredibly important. You don't want to, you don't want your introduction to the album to be weak, and you don't want your closer to to be weak. But your closer also has to signify the end of something. Mm -hmm. uh, this time around, I didn't want to do any kind of instrumental opener. I didn't want any lengthy intro to it. Like I just wanted something that that was really going to kind of hit you and mm -hmm. and bulwark kind of so how they to, to really to, to describe this i have to go back to how the album was actually constructed and that was uh september of last year uh we went into the studio uh to do three songs that were going to be for uh the split with uh withdrawal from canada and bulwark uh no gardens and red rooms those were the original three songs and so there there wasn't any real intention for this to be an album but when we got done with it 
and then sent it to, to Alex Poole, who you know is our guitarist and, and production guy. And he added all of his layers to it uh, that you know he's he's done for us for you know a long time now. There's just something different about it, and so that's how we decided that we were you know let's let's see where this goes. And we went back into the studio in January to record the remaining five songs. Bulwark was the, the first song that was written for this, and it was really just. I wanted it to feel like Gorgoroth's pentagram. Mm. And so, and that's an album that just has urgency throughout all of it. So I wanted a song that had that kind of tension and that kind of urgency to it. Uh, and so that just, it somehow naturally became what was going to be the, the first song. Uh, I, I would have titled it shield wall, but Amoebix already had that. So Bulwark seemed to be the next good good title for it how do you feel about albums that choose to have an opener and a closer that basically flow into each other where the closer is like a, an instrumental that is actually looped to the to the opener do you like that kind of stuff or do you say like ah i want a clear cut depends on the record i mean if somebody does it well and someone does it interesting, then, then yeah, of course. Um, also it's not, I mean, that that's, that's when I listen to a record, I, I understand that it's the artist's personal choice on, on how they want to present it to me. Uh, how I take it, uh, is then my personal choice, but I don't, I don't listen to, I, I like to listen to a record back to front. Um, I, I don't like to, to, juxtapose the the songs which you know we're obviously very able to do now with spotify and all the the streaming services where you know you can kind of pick how you want the record to flow and i think that does a disservice to the artist because they've obviously sat and, and figured this is how i want the listener to this is the journey that i want the listener to take uh so yeah i mean sometimes if, if somebody does an outro that is you know loops back into the, the first song it, it can be fantastic. I can't think of anything off the top of my head as an example of that, but I know that it exists because I don't have an obvious negative reaction when, when we bring it up. So, Would you say that the, the track list that the artist does is like the written tour guide where he basically says, okay, like this is the path you take that is the best possible and quickest direction to go. And then all of a sudden, one of those stupid tourists comes and says like, oh no, there is another street. Let's walk that way. Is that what you think about like track listing? When I sit down and do track listing for any of the, the releases that we've done, be it the records or, or the splits, unless it's, you know, a single song, seven inch, uh, I really put a lot of thought into the order of things, how how to, to create something that has the most maximum emotional impact. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't want it to look like I just dropped all the songs on the floor and, and left it like that. I want things to kind of flow into each other. I want to create, you know, like tension here, a sense of melancholy there. Uh, that's like a, a good, you know, brutal palate cleanser, that, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if, if other artists are, are, are like that. I can really only speak to myself. But sorry, cat's being an asshole. Um, but that, that that's that's how I, I like to look at it. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, you know, and, and, and we're both of the age of this, uh, where we grew up with a lot of you know mixtapes and, and that kind of thing before you know people made playlists online. And so you also spent a lot of time doing the same thing with with mixtapes where you know you were really trying to make everything flow together for a, a really cohesive picture rather than just throwing a bunch of songs together and so i think from that i've developed this inflated sense of self that i need to make sure that everything fits the way that i, I want it to how i can create the most visceral reaction and, and impact from from how i place the songs You've already said that, you know, with this record, it's like, in some ways, a new, a clean slate. It's a new beginning, a fresh start. There are a few 
things like little details here like um, um an eerie short passage in one of the tracks or the blast at the beginning um these little details do they come to you consciously or intuitively um it used to be intuitively intuitively and i i guess in a way it still is but when i was putting together how the songs were to be structured i had really detailed notes on how i wanted the band to like what speed to play things what dynamics to to add uh what what style drumming i would like um then just the the details of you know when are the instruments going to drop out except for one of them uh that that kind of thing so uh, this time around it really was uh for as quickly as the record came together there really was a lot of planning into it uh and i don't know where that came from i'm not the most organized person but this was really a more conscious way of, of piecing things together of really trying to to create an atmosphere whereas in a lot of previous records before uh i just kind of let things fall where they may and felt that however it happened that's how it was fated to happen and so that those passages or those changes or those sounds that would be natural not that this is this wasn't natural but it was just organically a lot more of a controlled experiment that that definitely makes sense um now you said that this is not a very conceptualized record but there seems to be like some kind of red thread going at least a little bit through the songs um it, it seems to talk a little bit to me at least it seems to talk about the difference between the outward and the inward you know bulwark separating some inner core from some out kind of aggression or movement um also you have like songs that are called solitarily you know where of course it's about one individual is that the the concept or is there something that i just simply did not see <laughs> no, I'd say that you're right. I mean, it, it, there is just this thread that, that weaves throughout it that, that is about the self, the self-struggle internally, externally, uh, fighting greater internal battles while also fighting the inevitable external battles, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I think I think you, you've pretty much hit the the nail on the head. Uh, if we're going to go back to you know utilizing the word subconsciously, I think that a lot of this was really subconscious. That's how it's, it's threaded together. That's that's how I was talking about things. I didn't go in with this hugely specific idea that I did with isolationist or, or transient, um, and maybe in a way that also is the concept to it just this acceptance uh, of where i am and, and what what i'm fighting how how I, i'm existing something that also strikes me is that there seems to be a little different kind of dynamics on the record as i said there are and also as you said there are moments which are like short but well-defined palate cleansers there are good changes of tempo on several of the tracks um and to me that is a little a little different to the last creek records um was that also important for you to to do something different there in that kind of area this kind of happened uh the record, so when when we had signed with Profound Lore in 2015, we were talking about going into to God City and, and recording there. And there was this idea that me and Alex had that it was going to be our killing joke record. It was going to be the, mm -hmm. the one that really had, you know, like the, the biggest post-punk influence to it. And so I, I tried for a few years to really specifically write that kind of stuff. 
and the the outcome was terrible i mean there there is 20 or 30 songs that are on my hard drive right now that just these ideas and these skeletons excuse me that uh just maybe one day I, I can work them into something but it just didn't work out like having this very specific goal just isn't isn't really my style but then over the last few years especially like i've listened to a lot of Killy joke a lot of new order joy division that kind of stuff and i think that that just naturally from my own listening habits just kind of crept in and influenced a little bit on, on how i would view dynamics and songs and then you know going back to, to a lot of the early norwegian bands you know there was a lot of of dynamics present there that we don't really even pick up on uh unless you really really like hone in and study it or if you listen to something like forgotten woods they've got like plenty of just ebb and flow and uh after olaf's passing last year uh i really i spent a lot of time listening to them as well i mean i always have they've always been a, a big favorite of mine so i'm sure that, that bands like that kind of all their influences kind of just crept into how i was doing things and then i i haven't tried to write any music in at least like two or three years before uh you know we, we got back together and, and, and started working on things like the crucifixion bell split and so i think that just spending so much time ravenously listening to all kinds of music that just helped me become a, a better more intuitive songwriter you are the only remaining member of what once was imperial then turned into creek would you now be okay if someone spoke of your band as neil jameson's creek yeah, I mean, that's always how it has been. Uh, it was a solo thing when I was Imperial uh, up into the first Krieg record where I brought in uh, an additional member from a death metal band that I was in called Abominus. And then we used the session drummer for, for that. And then the second record, uh, Sono, I brought in additional band members and, I mean, nothing, nothing stuck. So then Destruction Ritual is just myself and uh, a, a drummer. And it wasn't until Black House was done that Andy from Judas Iscariot, you know, offered to, to help. And so he set up, you know, having uh, a full band for that. But it was always, it's always been my vision. Uh, and it's always been quote unquote session members up until Transient, which is when uh, Alex and Jason, who are still in the band now, that was when they basically made their their full-time uh debut but it's still 90 percent of the songs over the years i think there's close to 200 250 creek songs like 90 percent of them are, are completely written by me um ruiner was all of the the bass melodies all of the uh like all, all of the music itself was initially written by me then we went into the studio and we recorded everything that, that I'd constructed. And then we sent it to Alex, who then added all of the, the overdubs, the uh, any of the, the solos, a lot of the, the weird noises that you hear. You know, that, that was all, all done by him. So in a way, it was the most collaborative record that I've, I've ever done because I gave my piece to somebody and then they added on what they heard from it. But I have no problem with anybody calling it Neil Jameson's Creek because that, that's just really what it is you you have worked with some very prominent musicians jeff whitehead blake judd jeff wilson is there any musician that you would like that you would still like to work with for creek or for any other record unfortunately the one musician who i'd like to work with died uh and that was uh mark lanigan uh Outside of that, I mean, I'm sure that there there's plenty of, of musicians that, that if I were given the opportunity to work with, I absolutely would. Uh, Paul Ledney from Profanatica, that was something that almost happened when I was doing the Royal Arch Blaspheme with 
John Gelso, who was in Profanatica at the time. Um, Leopardist from uh, from Commodus, I would I would love to to collaborate with him somehow. Uh, but beyond that, I can't really I can't really think of anything. It, it would just have to be something that would you know kind of come together naturally. You have spoken about Creek being some kind of your own autobiographical, with a lot of words, autobiographical uh, project where you basically deal with the things that happen around you that influence you. Is that also for you the most important function that modern black metal has, you know? Dealing with your own demons? Not really. Um, I, I'd say that the the most important function that, that modern black metal has is being authentic to itself. Mm -hmm. So if that is, you know, someone like me that, that is writing about themselves or things that they've gone through or, or their own demons and they're doing it authentically, then absolutely. But then there's plenty of room for bands that are just purely, you know, into it for the satanic imagery or, or, or anything like that, as long as, or, you know, want to do modern bathory worship. As long as they do that well, then, that, hey, that, that's great too. Uh, I can find value in, in all of that. Uh, so it, it, it's the, the most important thing with not just modern black metal, but just, art in, in general is just authenticity. Uh, I really despise the idea that, you know, like certain projects are put together because they'll be easy to market. They'll be easy to sell. Uh, I, I don't like that certain musicians or artists or, or whatever are able to get successful based on who they are instead of what they're doing. Uh, and unfortunately with the internet and influencer culture being so prominent worldwide right now you know a lot of that is happening but if i can also play devil's advocate to what i just said who am i to say that something that i feel is inauthentic is inauthentic it could yeah. be completely a genuine expression of what that person is doing that expression could be bullshit uh but I'm not the one to, uh, I don't believe that I should be the arbiter of taste as far as that's concerned. Uh, if it's something that, that I don't appreciate or enjoy, rather than spend a lot of time talking about it, I just try to spend my time on things that I find value in. Uh, much like yourself, I'm a father. My, my daughter is you know two and a half now, so she's in a very challenging stage where she wants to get into absolutely everything in the house and just, you know, make my life a, a nightmare some days. And so I want to spend my time enjoying that rather than, you know, spending my time complaining about bands that I, I think are, are terrible or, or people that, you know, are, are just boring to me. Uh, because that also just gives things that, that I don't like, it gives it attention. Uh, I mean, you and I could sit here for hours and talk about bands that, that we think suck and it, all that does is that just puts those names out there for people to be like, oh, if they think that's terrible. Why? Why do they they feel like that? Let me yeah. listen to it. And then it, it you know gives this this shit attention that that doesn't in in my eyes doesn't deserve it. Yeah, to to I, I totally understand what you what you're saying, uh, and that is something that I love about our site. We don't talk negatively. We don't bad, write bad reviews or stuff like that. We don't grate. That's that's something that was important to us when we did that. But coming back to black metal, um, what do you think about genres like black gaze, atmospheric black metal, post black, however you want to call them? Are there are there bands in those realms where you say, okay, I can totally dig that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think Alcest is really great as far as black gaze is concerned. Uh, there was also a band that did a split with Circle of Aurobarus called Crooked Necks. That, uh, it's a U.S. project. They did that split, uh, a full length, uh, 
a demo and then a 12 inch of joy division covers but their full length is brilliant and it really is it's it's more shoegaze than than black metal but it has obvious black metal influence to it um i i, I don't see anything wrong with with that kind of genre exp, uh, exploration uh because again, if you just stay with the same thing and you stagnate, then that kind of just eventually kills it. It doesn't give it any kind of forward momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, there's a, a lot of stuff there that's out that's just not for me. Like I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeking out black gaze projects. I'm not seeking out yeah. post black projects or, or anything like that. It, it really, it's it's the kind of thing where if I hear it and then I get something from it, then I'll explore it a little bit more. But these aren't, you know, necessarily subgenres that are, are, are things that are that are on my radar. But I don't view that kind of deconstruction of the genre as as negative. I think that it's a natural evolution and that it, it's positive and it can absolutely bring some really interesting music to light. Look at uh, Circle of Rubberus. That, that's that's a, a project that I, I can bring up as far as like looking at, at, at outsider. Uh, black metal uh, because they've done I mean they have like 80 fucking releases so like they, they've hit pretty much every subgenre in in black metal and they're able to do it in a way that is consistently exciting and always high quality uh, anti Clemmy the, uh, the the singer he's got uh, his absolute key project which is it's a lot of harsh noise mixed with black metal mixed with all this just weird ambient outsider shit so that's the kind of thing that, that excites me because these are, are artists that are really pushing boundaries and it happens. It, it feels very natural. Whereas, you know, uh, there, I'm sure there's bands out there that, that get together before they even write the first song. And they're like, we're going to sound like we're going to have a shoegaze element, but then we're going to have a, a post hardcore element. And here's going to be a converged style breakdown. And, and like that, the really manufacture what they're doing to try to, to, get out into the wider public because they think that these these tags, you know, the genre tags are, are something that's going to get them more traction rather than just working on writing good songs. Yeah, where the hashtag list at the end of any kind of post is longer than what they really have to say, right? I can see what you mean. Uh, and then, then we also have to say, still, there are bands who do it that way and who still sound incredibly good it just not it's just not the the normal thing or the normal way to happen um right are are there also any like black metal scenes that you are following more closely i mean like being european i i already have like two or three scenes in my mind but i want you to say if you are following one or the other denmark the corpse and bands in in denmark uh, are that is that's really what helped reignite my my love of black metal a few years ago because i'd, I'd mm-hmm. gone through many many years that i just wasn't paying attention to it that i was kind of just disgusted by it and so then i started listening to a lot of the like the, the first one that and it's not necessarily a corpse and band but it's from denmark uh Nyardolk. uh i listened to their first demo and it was purely on on aesthetic reasons i thought that the cover art was bizarre and, and, and striking so it's like fuck it i'll give give them a shot and then from there i just started checking out more and more bands from from denmark and, and this how a lot of these bands are blending like this just ill jarn punk black metal in with this kind of epic you know later period bathory stuff is refreshing and just really really exciting i mean i'm there's at least like 10 or 15 bands in Denmark right now that are just consistently, and a lot of it's all the, the same members. They're just consistently pumping out amazing, refreshing, invigorating black metal. So I, I follow that scene very closely. Um, there's a lot of uh, the bands in, in uh, England or Wales to be specific, the Pemberbrookshire circle, uh, Revenant Marquis, uh, Kramich, uh, I'm blanking on the other one begins with a C, uh, but it's it's just all these Welsh bands that are all connected to the Death Prayer label that are doing this 
haunting, really just wiped out, overly reverbed sound that isn't done in a way that, that sounds like it's like lo-fi to be lo-fi. It, it, it's this almost Victorian castle mansion atmosphere to it that is yeah. just fucking brilliant. Uh, I pay attention, obviously, to the American scene a lot, uh, mostly because that's where I, I, I'm stuck. I don't really hear any kind of unified American sound anymore, and that's, that's actually interesting. really... Yeah, me neither. It, it's it's very positive. Because, uh, I mean, when we started out, you know, everybody, myself included, we were all really bestial and, and noisy. There was obviously a, a large death metal influence. And as we've, you know, we're, we're 20, 30 years down the road, you hear all kinds of, of black metal coming from the States. And I think a lot of it is the fact that one, you know, we don't really have a, a national identity. And two, if there is an American national identity outside of fucking the rest of the world up, it is this idea of individualism. So there's just so many bands that are coming out of here that are just really they're their own expression of, yeah. of black metal or, or hardcore or, or punk or death metal or, or all that. You know, yeah. It really is not to use a cliche, but it is like a, a melting pot of, uh, of, of different, sounds and so there's a lot of really exciting things coming out of the states there's a lot of garbage coming out too because we're a large population of people that don't shut the fuck up so um yeah if if i were to add to that list i would add um the helvetic underground committee from switzerland which is like a group of seven or eight musicians who form like by now i think 18 bands or projects and all of them are a little different. All of them are amazing. Um, and the second one that I still never can get enough of would be um, the whole Heresis Noviomagi scene in in, in Gelderland in in, um, in Holland. Uh, also amazing, which kind of bands come from there? Again, like a closed circle. And I think that's also what you what is the problem with American black metal? You know, there is uh, hardly a, a circle of like, let's say eight to 15 people who work together as a collective and who then can form different, different projects according to which kind of sound you're following. Um, if you could build a two day festival for American black metal, let's say one for the old guard and one for the new, from the tip of your tongue, top of your head, who and with five bands each day, which five bands would we see? And Creek has to be one of them. I think that Creek could do both days, mostly just because of, of you know the the different styles over the years. So, am I allowed to use bands that are no longer together? Yes. For this, okay. So for the uh, the old band uh, day five on top of myself would be uh, Judas Iscariot, Profanatica, Demon C, Fawn before Fawn became embarrassing. Uh, so Profanatica, Demon C, Judas. Uh, so what would the fifth one be? Abazagorath. Uh, their their classic lineup. Uh, that was one of the first underground black metal bands that I ever started seeing in, in, in concert when I would take a bus up to New York City when I was young. Uh, we got the chance to, to tour with them a few times. Just really, really great black metal band from New Jersey that's still active, but their classic lineup when they did their demos and their, their first record, just untouchable. Uh, for day two... That one's... That, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, I'd love to see a Leviathan show, uh, but I doubt that that would ever happen, so I'm not even going to put that in the fantasy league there. Has uh, he ever played like a real Bell. lot of shows? As Leviathan? No, yes. but he, I mean, he's done uh, live. He was a live drummer for me a few times, and he right. uh, did live work for Nightmistium. Some modern Crucifixion Bell, uh, Gates of Dawn, Yellow Eyes, 
think they're, they're I'm gonna really see them in fantastic. December. I'm gonna see them in December. We, yeah, we played a fest with them. Uh it was their the the last Creek show we ever did was uh the Red River Festival in twenty seventeen in Austin, Texas. And Yellow Eyes was one of the bands and it was just phenomenal. Uh better live than on the record, which is, is you know which very, very So Crucifixion Bell, Yellow Eyes, Gates of Dawn, um, and I'm blank. Ashpool would be really, really great to see live, um, and Bone All. Though Bone All can also kind of count as the old guard because they've been around forever, but that's the the first thing that comes to mind. And I, I've never, I've had the chance to see them a few times. Uh, we did a fest with them and Ash Dottis and uh, a ton of noise bands in Chicago in, in 2000, Jesus Christ, eight, nine, ten around there. Uh, and it was great. And then I saw them at a house show in Philadelphia where, I mean, people were just ripping fucking pipes out of the wall. It was just one of the most barbaric things that I, I'd ever seen. Just really, really great projects. Um yeah, Bono, I guess, could, could kind of straddle the the the, uh, the lines there. Uh, another one that I would add just for the, the new ones is Cathedrals in the Night, who did a demo two years ago, and they'll be doing their first live shows ever with us in a few weeks. They're doing our New York and uh, Philadelphia shows, so I'm really excited to see how they are live. Uh, just real miserable, depressive black metal without being the kind of self-pitying bullshit that the depressive black metal became. That that are two really cool lineups. So, Neil, first of all, thanks for all the insights and for the detailed answers. And of course, you still have to go through the infamous quickfire round. And you always got two alternatives, have to choose one of them. And as I know that you listen to a lot of music from all over the world, let's start with some European shit. Celtic Frost versus Hellhammer. Hellhammer. Okay. And that's based entirely on the Satanic Rites demo. Granted, okay. that's a really fucking hard choice. But they will not get any easier. I can already tell you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Mayhem versus Emperor. Oh. Emperor. And that's based on the strength of everything up to and including Nightside. I mean, you can kind of see behind me, I've got a framed poster from the Nightside vinyl of uh, the, the classic lineup that is eventually going to go up in here whenever that happens. Uh, but that that's a hard one because both bands, all their early records, just absolutely really important. I've got a framed Day Mysteries poster over there. So that that's a tough one. As we were talking about inner demons, this is a fun makeup, but I think two bands are very important in general. Which psychotic illness would you prefer? Bark psychosis or neurosis? Neurosis. It just seems like it'd be the most fun. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those two Russian bands. I hope you are. Um, show me a dinosaur versus TRNA. Trna. Show me a dinosaur is the, the one that I'm, I'm mildly familiar with. So I'm going to have to go there. I'll, I'll send you a link to, to one of the Trna albums where I say that to me is top-notch post-black. Coming back to America, Agaloch versus Wolves in the Throne Room. Neither. Okay. Uh, Wolfhammer. I know you you've worked with with them, uh, so I'll not give you them against anybody, but two Wolfhammer records that you can choose from: Obsidian Plains versus Monuments of Ash and Bone. Obsidian Plains. We toured with them when they were doing uh, when they first had that record out. It was the first large tour Krieg had done in in a long time, and it was the largest tour that I've ever done in the states. Uh, love that record; it's a really, really great record. 
Crucifixion Bell, as you have already dropped them so often. Again, two records to choose from. The last one merges in Isar or Eternal Grip. Eternal Grip, uh, that is just a perfect record uh, start to finish. There's just no breathing room in it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Now, two bands that to me are highly important, so you cannot choose a bad one, um, but from very different genres. Which one do you prefer? The avant-garde death metal of Ulfar from Oakland or the psychedelic black metal of Ulfa from Cologne? Not really familiar with either of them. Ooh, I mean, I, I'll, I'll, so. I'll send you a link to that. So um, for me, that would be hard to choose. But as I'm good friends with the guy behind Ulfa, it must be them. And and that's where I'm going to see Yellow Eyes, by the way, in December. So anybody who listens to this shortly before New Year's, too late. Unholy Passion Fest is over. Um, as I'm very sure that you're not only listening to, to black metal music, but are also some kind of, let's say, cultural nerd. High Fidelity, which one do you prefer, the series or the movie? The book. I'm gonna be oh, an asshole. Oh, that's there. even better. The there is one but reason. The, why... Yeah. Oh, uh, just be between the two. Um, I mean, I thought the series was really good, but the movie's just got a special place in my heart. So, the movie just has one problem for me. They substituted grunge with hip hop. That's just that's, that's, that's work. Anyway, um, and then. As we were talking about literature and about great writers of the 20th century, Hemingway versus Steinbeck. Hemingway. Another example of a horrible human being, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Steinbeck was definitely the, the, the better man, but I just... Hemingway's writing is, is incredibly striking. Yeah. And I'm not as familiar with Steinbeck as I should be. I just remember reading the pearl when i was in uh want to say sixth or seventh grade uh and just despising it and i'm sure that i would like it now because my, my tastes are a lot different when i was younger my literary tastes were like dragon lance and Dungeons and dragons stephen king that kind of thing but steinbeck just has kind of this negative connotation to his writing uh to me whereas like if i read a lot of quotes by him Seems like a, a very enlightened person, whereas you know Hemingway was just drinking himself to death and shooting rhinos, so and treating women like shit. But of course, I don't, I cannot let you go without like a classic black metal duo, Beffrey versus Burzum. Ooh, Bathory. Me too. That's a that's a hard one because I mean, but because Bathory's got a huge catalog and not everything is is fantastic, but there's just so much, so many different styles there. Burzum wouldn't exist without Bloodfire Death. So, Point. I I mean to to really to be able to appreciate to be able to appreciate black metal second wave in in general, and then by proxy third, fourth, fifth, whatever the fuck we're in now. Uh, you really have to to go back to Bathory. That really is just the archetype of, of what we're all working on. Uh, so yeah, no Bathory, and for whatever reason, October. Like I love, I listen to a lot of of Bathory, Venom, Frost. October is just a really big month for like that classic old school, yeah, building block for me. So yeah, Bathory. That, that certain sound, right? Yeah, that's true. And I mean, like the story behind Bathory of that supposedly vampiric duchess is nearly unbeatable. Yeah. So, Neil, thanks for all the detailed answers. Enjoy the rest of your day and uh, give your cat something to eat. Look, I fed them. I've got three. I fed them right before I came in here, and this asshole decided just to stay in the office. And so, yeah, that's why he's been screeching the whole time. So, for everybody, if you liked this interview, then maybe give us a subscription, give us a follow on Instagram or on Facebook. If you want to support us a little more, go to our website, find out about our Patreon. 
Um, yeah. And then, of course, Neil, for you, chance for final last words. Just thank you for, for the opportunity. Uh, it, it, it's been a long time since I've been able to speak to, to anyone from Germany. And I just I would really like to get back. It was always one of my favorite places, not only to play, but just to, to be. Uh, I always really valued my time there. Uh, and for any any of the European listeners, thanks for you know still paying attention. I know it's been uh, a, not the the most fashionable thing to to be in a Krieg in Europe the the last two decades or so, especially because of all the uh, the fun things we spoke about very early on in the interviews. So I just I appreciate the support, and uh, it it just it's overwhelming to think that you know people that far away care at all about the dumb shit that I've been doing for 30 years. So I just appreciate it. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thank you, sir.